unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. All right, after a uh, week off for load management, I am back in the saddle, and on this week's program, I am very excited to bring you one of the great sports writing legends who had a long career at the Orlando Sentinel before his retirement in 2000. Larry Guest will be our guest on the show today. Larry is standing by in the virtual green room and will join us in just a moment. So, how did you enjoy NFL Draft Weekend? Um, I have to admit, I barely watched the draft this year, and I'm not really sure why, but uh, nonetheless, it is a, a great spectacle. The National Football League has continues to make this a bigger and bigger event and uh, now that they rotate you know where they're going and go to all the mar- all NFL markets and beyond uh, it is a, a a road show unlike any other and of course the, along with the draft comes two things I despise and loathe one mock drafts two draft grades <laughs> like given a grade the weekend after the draft is going to be accurate. Not a chance. But uh, that's all the excitement and all the things that the media outlets need to do to get you to uh, use that clickbait. All right. It's my pleasure to welcome to the show longtime Orlando Sentinel legendary sports columnist, Larry Guest is here with us. Larry, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, my pleasure, Jeff. Uh, actually, I retired in two thousand. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. That's right. So two thousand. So um, you know, you were at the Sentinel for twenty eight years, and uh, uh, can you kind of encapsulate for me, you know, your career there, and what some of your favorite memories were as the uh, lead sports columnist for the Sentinel? Uh, well, uh, uh, I, I, I came to Orlando out of Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, the, uh, the head of the, the, the owner of the paper in Jackson, Mississippi was, uh, uh let's, let's say he's a very, very conservative <laughs> and he didn't like the idea that I wrote a nice column about the Mississippi State's uh, quarterback, who's uh, an, an outstanding young man, but he was black. So the next morning, when I came into the office, uh, the the paper's owner said uh, uh, left a note on my desk saying that we got a lot of good white athletes you can write. Uh, uh, columns about and uh, uh, so uh, the, the, the Sentinel had already talked to me and uh, uh, so I called him up and said I'm interested in, and within a month or so that was in 1973 uh, I was uh, I became the uh, a Florida Gator beat writer, ironically, <laughs> and a back, backup columnist to a guy named Bill Clark. Uh, Bill uh, committed uh, politi- 
political suicide <laughs> in the paper and and so I, he was excused and I, I became the lead sports columnist and syndicated on the Tribune Wire nationally uh, in 1975 and and I, it was it was fun for a long time but then the paper got so far left that uh, it, it wasn't real fun to be there when they were promoting all the liberal causes and liberal candidates and, and uh, that shouldn't affect me in, uh, in sports right that's, that's politics but uh, uh, the, the managing editor came in when they became so far left the lady managing editor came into my office one day and said Larry we'd, we'd like for you to do a nice column about some gay athlete and I told her I, I, I wasn't into social engineering that you know I, I, I wanted to write breaking news columns or just humorous columns and uh, when she left my office I went right into the publisher and uh, told him the situation and that that I wanted to start negotiating a, a buyout and uh, we did that pretty quickly and I was gone and had enough money then to you know go into book writing which I did seven mm -hmm. uh, books uh, and uh, uh, two of them made a lot of the bestseller lists that was the one on Arnold Palmer and the other one on uh, Payne Stewart which was the toughest book I had to write because I got really close to pain and his tragic uh, airplane mishap uh, uh, which I had to get up and walk away from the keyboard quite a number of times mm -hmm. in that process well of course you, you again you you had a long career at Sentinel and, and you know and, and your columns were very uh, infamous for a lot of humor and uh, and 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 just a you know great job of covering athletes and and you, of course you know you did make great connections with athletes as you mentioned you know with the likes of Payne Stewart Arnold Palmer and, and whatnot and I kind of wanted to talk about your books in particular a little bit too um, you know when you look at uh, Arnold Palmer I mean you you, you can look at uh, you can look at kind of the story of how Orlando grew up in Disney World. Arnold Palmer moving to Orlando and becoming uh, such a, an active part of the community, and then probably you know the days of you know when the Orlando Magic became an NBA franchise. Um, so let's start first with Arnold Palmer. Um, you, you know, you've, one of the greatest golfers of all time, but he had an eye for doing great things off the course, as far as you know, course architecture. Um, you know, bringing the tournament, uh, the PGA, to Orlando, and of course, all the great things he's done in the community. Give me your reflections on Arnold, please. Well, uh, you know, he, he the, the tournament, PGA tournament, was already in Orlando, and it was at uh, uh, out in the east part of town, uh, Real Pinar, and uh, the the. the residents and members at Rio Pinar kind of grew wary of losing their chance to play their own course you know for the whole week of the tournament so uh, uh, Arnold got wind of that and uh, began to talk to some of the backers there 
and it wound up moving. Uh, he, he managed to move the tournament from uh, Rio Bernard out to Bay Hill. And uh, a, a lot of the uh, the old guard out at the Rio Bernard got pretty upset about it. In fact, uh, they they when it was announced that the tournament wouldn't be re- returning to Rio Bernard, it'd go out to Bay Hill. Uh, some uh, less than avid fan of his and among the membership at Rio Bernard uh, put a picture of him in a urinal there. So <laughs> I guess that was uh, the, the ultimate editorial comment. <laughs> but he, he was, he, he's a, you know, he, he connected with people so well. I, I caddied for him for a magazine story and at the Houston Open one year uh, just to give a close-up fence, you know, what it was like to be around Arnold during a tournament. And uh, he would... Uh, he would make eye contact with the people and uh, we'd stand on a tee when he was waiting for the, uh, the the fairway to clear and I could look at the crowd around the tee and see exactly where he was looking because it was, he kind of did a sweeping look at, you know, and nod and eye contact with the people there and it was like a wave that went along. They all straightened up, and you know when when it, when Arnold was looking at them. But uh, he really connected with the people. That was the, his his great asset. And when we did the book, unfortunately, I had talked to him. For, you know, I, I I rode with him in his plane. We played golf. Uh, I even beat him one time. <laughs> uh, so uh, at Bay Hill, and I had a career around shot 75 or something, and Arnold was fooling around with some new driver, and he hit it out of bounds a couple of times. So I, uh, I wound up beating him. So our lifetime record one-on-one was uh, something like 1 and 25. <laughs> so he, he had the 25, of course. And and you 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 talk about the way he connected with people you know, because he had the he, he had charisma I mean you know that's what you know made him so popular as a player uh, and again he was also just very astute as a businessman as well. Well, the business was run anything connected with him in any sort of business sense was run by uh, uh, Mark McCormick's uh, International Management Group IMG, and they were. Uh, they were a little shadowy till uh, Mark McCormick uh, uh, became a born again Christian. And but before that, uh, he was uh, he, did, he did a lot of underhanded things. And some a friend of mine and Arnold's in the locker room there one day, uh, a, a guy from a businessman from Charlotte uh, told Arnold that you got to get away from IMG. They, they, they can spoil even your image. Uh, <laughs> he stayed with them, and and uh, he, he, after several drinks, he said, uh, they're putting about $25 million in my hip every year. And so uh, I, I, if they want to steal a little, that's okay, too. <laughs> 
And of course, what what a lot of people don't realize too is you know Arnold Palmer is one of the people we had to thank for the Golf Channel, as he was one of the original investors back in the day before, long before NBC got their hands on it. Right. Yeah. And he had a desk there and, a, and an office that which he never uh, went to. But uh, yeah, he was. You know, it was. It, it was the Arnold Palmer Channel instead of just the Golf Channel for the first year or so. They, they had constant documentaries of featuring Arnold and highlights from tournaments and so forth. But uh, he was, uh, you know, that was one of the great things about I fell into this job in Orlando where uh, I, could inter- I interacted with him and a lot of the other a PGA Tour pros, uh, you know, who who lived in Orlando, and uh, it was a great opportunity to go from Jackson, Mississippi, to uh, to which is a very off Broadway city. Uh, but uh, it, it, it was great to uh, interact and 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 develop friendships with guys like Arnold and. Uh, some of the early best, uh, magic players uh, and uh, it, it, it was a uh, uh, and Payne Stewart you know especially that I, I mentioned the Payne Stewart story the book and uh, that was a tough one I I, I shed a few tears over the uh, over, over the on my laptop when hmm. in the process of writing that book he was uh, he was a terrific guy who came out and had a lot of uh, success early, maybe too much, and got a little carried away with himself. But uh, a couple of couple of three years into his uh, his career, he, he he's what I say. He got it. He he got it that he didn't need to treat people like you know they were peons, and he was uh, up on the up on the top of the hill. Uh, and he, he became a very winsome guy that uh, he he earned, he, he uh, interacted with people behind the ropes just uh, just as like, like Arnold did. Mm-hmm. And you, of course, uh, uh, one of your other books uh, was with Pat Williams, uh, "Making Magic." Of course, uh, so much can be said uh, uh, about uh, uh, about the the Orlando Magic. Uh, and the impact they had on this city, especially uh, from the outset, uh, you know, as Pat Williams and Jimmy Hewitt uh, uh, got the NBA to actually come to Orlando. What was your first thoughts when when there was discussion of Orlando trying to land an NBA team? Well, I, I got close to uh, Jimmy Hewitt, uh, the late Jimmy Hewitt, a wonderful guy that it worked with Pat and put the ownership group together and convinced David Stern. NBA commissioner that uh, uh, that this was a viable place for an NBA expansion team. Uh, David Stern had some of his uh, shortcomings about that. He he felt that he, he needed not a group of twenty guys that you are know, led by Jimmy Hood, but he wanted somebody with really really deep pockets that. Uh, you know, would would be the not just the lead leader of the group, but uh, you know the, the the heavyweight in the group. 
Yeah, and uh, that, that certainly was a was a was a big turning point uh, for for the city as well. And another one of your books that I have a lot of particular interest in that uh, because I'm a big Atlanta Braves fan was the book Built to Win with John Sherholtz. And you know, uh, I have to think that's quite an honor for you to uh, to write that book because you know John Sherholtz probably had his pick of guys in, in the Atlanta market that he could have chosen, but Larry Guest yeah. is got is doing the job. Well, there were uh, there were a couple of writers in Atlanta who had mentioned to him that they'd like to do a book with him, but he and I had uh, headed off when uh, he, he uh, when he was the general manager of Kansas City, and they trained uh, uh, just down the I four. So he was in this area, and uh, we headed off and had dinner often, played some golf, and uh, and. Uh, when I mentioned uh, doing a book with him, uh, he he said, "Yeah, well, let's do it." And he wanted to do it the first year after he retired. And uh, I said, "No, that's that's no good." He said, yeah. uh, six months after you retire, that nobody will know who you are." <laughs> and and, uh, and so he agreed to do it going into the last year that he was the general manager uh, of the Braves and uh, and uh, very appropriately uh, was was uh, put into the Baseball Hall of Fame in the executive division and uh, it was very very just you know he he came from Kansas City which was uh, 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 wasn't and took and one was one of the uh, solid franchises in Major League Baseball to take over the Atlanta Braves and Ted Turner and and uh, they were they were like the laughing stock of the of baseball but yet he, he reeled off 15 straight division championships uh, that's a that's a record that's uh, still uh, uh, that still stands in the uh, professional big time professional sports there's a, a soccer team in England that had I think 12 straight division championships but uh, John's Braves had 15 before he uh, finally hung it up and that that ended the streak and what would you say because you know he did build you know he had great success in Kansas City before coming to Atlanta and made them a great franchise what could you pinpoint are the, the the attributes that he had that made him so successful as a general manager well he uh, uh, he, he managed the contracts of uh, the great pitchers they had they had the great rotation at that time uh, Maddox and Clavin and uh, John uh, Smalls and uh, there were several times when he was about to lose them in the trade or, or free agency or whatever, and he he managed to to balance those the contracts of those pitchers to keep them there, and you know so they had a they had a long run of ten or twelve years where they were there together uh, until. Uh, Glavin went to the Mets, uh, and 
they shed a lot of tears over that one in, in, in Glavin's home. Mm-hmm. Glavin didn't, didn't want to leave, but his agent, you know, negotiated a huge contract with the New York Mets, and, and he left, and that's kind of a brave struggle for a while to to get that excellence or get in, to go deep into the playoffs. And, and finally won a World Series in 80-something, uh, and uh, had a long dry spell until they won this past year and and a lot of that credit goes to Scherholz who kept building uh, a minor league system uh, uh, you know uh, he had a lot of good, developed a lot of good players and kept them in Atlanta you know as long as he could which is tough these days with the the contract situation. And of course, after after having a career as, as a sports columnist for a long time, and and then going in, in, into authoring books, what is the what is the the big the biggest thrill you get out of authoring a book? Uh, well, just interacting with the, the people that because if you do a book with somebody, it's like you're almost married to them, and so you won't somebody that uh, is enthusiastic about the book and uh, and is, is free with the time devoted to it. I, I taught everybody that I did uh, I collaborated uh, on books, which includes John and 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 Arnold and uh, Payne and uh, uh, Norm Swan, the basketball national champion uh, college champion when he was at uh, North Carolina State and then served out his time at, at Florida but he was a interesting guy so I thought you know do I want to get locked up in a small room with him he was pretty uh, flamboyant and volatile but uh, working with him on the book he was he was just terrific. He was an entertaining guy. Uh, I, I really enjoyed working with him. Of course, uh, you know it's hard to believe you you haven't been with the Sentinel for over twenty years. Uh, you know, of course, I you know, religiously uh, read read your work uh, back in the day, and uh, and of course uh, we crossed paths uh, uh, when uh, I was at WGTO. Perry Moore was doing the morning show, talking about another titan of the industry, and you did a segment uh, did a segment on our morning show with him uh, from time to time. So between you know the time that you were covering sports on a regular basis and today what are your thoughts on today's sports landscape uh, what do you think is better and what do you think is worse well you know the money has spoiled all uh, sports uh, pro sports uh, you know the the guy and and when the magic came uh, uh basketball was never you know, my top thing and i did cover a lot of basketball till i moved well, till the till the uh, uh, the association with Norm Sloan and then the Magic, but uh, they they were tough to deal with. They, they were they were you know Shaq has said many times that he was he, he went to L.A. because he wanted to be not the big frog in a small pond, but the, a big frog in a big pond. <laughs> but uh, 
he was a little tough to deal with because he it was a it was a little while before he matured. He came out of LSU, and uh, there was a wonderful story about when he the the Magic entertained him, and uh, uh, the, all the executives of the Magic uh, and the owner uh, uh, had a had a big dinner, a family dinner to kind of get to know one another uh, at the Marriott right across from where the old arena was. And during the course of the meal, uh, Shaq and his little brother got in a food fight. And this is, <laughs> you know, this, this is high profile people uh, in a private setting. And uh, uh, one of them threw, you know, some peas at, at the other one. And then back came a baked potato and pretty soon it was a full-fledged uh, uh, food fighting, and and all these uh, very high place uh, people like Pat Williams and Matty Gukas and and uh, John Gabriel and 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 the owner Mr. DeVos, they were all looking around at each other like what what is this? As they left, uh, uh, the Shaq and his family were staying right there at that Marriott, and, uh, and Pat asked. Asked Kukas, uh, what, "What? What do you think about what was going on with all this food flying around?" And Kukas uh, said, uh, "Well, I really thought about telling him to go to his room." <laughs> <laughs> that's a good, that's a great story. I've I have I I didn't recall that one. Uh, um, are there are there other things in in today's sports world? Do you, I mean, I mean, I'm sure you got thoughts on social media. Is social media good or bad for professional sports? Uh, social media is bad for everything, <laughs> in my view, because that that gives unfettered uh, microphone to people who don't need to be spreading uh, screwball opinions and. You know that that's the unfortunate thing about uh, there's there just so many people who are I'm sure good people, but they're just not qualified to go on a mass media uh, situation and uh, it, it's, you know and and let everybody know how little they know what's actually going on. <laughs> Well, uh, besides uh, authoring books, uh, what other things are you doing in, in, in enjoying your retirement? Uh, you hit on it, just enjoying retirement. I, I'm not doing any more book. I haven't. My seventh and final book was, uh, oh gosh, uh, about six or eight years ago, which is funny anecdotes and backstage with, uh, you know, some of the how high-profile guys I dealt with uh, and got to know, you know, Mickey Mantle, people people like that, uh, and Bear Bryant, and Steve Spurrier, of course, he and I, you know, uh, had, you know, had a hard time dealing with each other. <laughs> but, uh, but since then, since that last book, I, I, play, I play a little golf and enjoy Winter Garden. We moved to Winter Garden, hmm. and which is a wonderful, delightful little town. 
it's like going it's like going back to the 60s yeah it's it's very conservative and uh in the downtown area of the charming downtown area of winter garden it it is just a magnet i mean it's a it it pulls people in it is so it's fun to be here and my one of my youngest daughter and her two children uh live about six blocks from us so my wife really eats up the chance to spend a lot of time with them well that's outstanding other, go ahead other i'm sorry than that, I, other than that i sit on the couch and and try to watch the braves uh, struggle <laughs> which i did this this afternoon to the mess <laughs> yes and uh, i think game two of that uh, doubleheader is just about to, to get started as well so i'll let you get to that uh larry thank you so much it's been great uh, having you on the show and uh reminiscing about uh, some some great days and uh, and your fabulous career i really appreciate you taking the time well it's good to hear from you again because i did enjoy uh dealing with uh perry moore and you guys at wdbo i mean he, he was a, he was a guy i greatly admired he, he was really good to get a really good uh, radio guy yeah he, he, de- he definitely was thank you again larry i do appreciate it Okay, take care, Jeff. I certainly did enjoy that opportunity to catch up with Larry Guest after all these years, and uh, he certainly was one of the great sports writers. And as an aside, as you noticed at the end when we were talking about uh, uh, the time he spent on the radio, he said WDBO instead of WGTO. And I have a funny story to tell in relation to that because... uh, you know, WDBO uh, on 580 was a landmark radio station for many, many years and uh, and a big stalwart in in Orlando radio. And WGTO, uh, WDBO was on 580, WGTO was on 540, once upon a time was in Cypress Gardens, still had the big 50,000-watt signal, but in 1990, late 1989, they moved the station to outside of Orlando, transmitter out in Lake County, studio in Ocoee, and in, in went on the air as an oldie station, and later we morphed it into a sports and talk format. And ironically, you know, because the call letters were so similar, WGTO, WDBO, you know, WGTO really had never had a chance <laughs> in in that relation because they're so close in frequency. We used to joke internally. It's like, well, you know. WDBO could go off the air for three months. People would be listening to WGTO and still write WDBO in the uh, in the arbitrary diary. <laughs> That's probably very true, I would imagine. In fact, we even shortened our call letters to WGT to try to mitigate some of that confusion. But uh, just a fun little story about my days back in the radio biz. Okay, let's close things out now with the TV theme.
very recognizable theme from Bonanza, a Western television series ran on NBC from September 1959 to January 1973. 14 seasons, 431 episodes. Bonanza is NBC's longest-running Western and was the second-longest-running Western series on U.S. network television behind Gunsmoke, which went 20 years on CBS. Uh, The show does continue to air these days in syndication. It is set in the 1860s and centers on the wealthy Cartwright family who live in the vicinity of Virginia City, Nevada, bordering Lake Tahoe. The series starring Lauren Green, Pernell Roberts, who would later be Trapper John M.D., Hoss was played by Dan Blocker, the big man. And, of course, Michael Landon, uh, before Little House on the Prairie and Touched by an Angel, was uh, Little Joe. And also, at uh, various times, Guy Williams, David Canary, Mitch Vogel, and Tim Matheson were part of the show. And the program was known for presenting pressing moral dilemmas. The title Bonanza, of course, is a term used by miners in regard to a large vein or deposit of silver ore from Spanish... Bonanza means prosperity and commonly refers to the 1859 revelation of the Comstock load of rich silver ore mines under the town of Virginia City, not far from the fictional Ponderosa Ranch that the Cartwright family operated. The theme song, also titled Bonanza, became a hit. Only instrumental renditions, absent Ray Evans' lyrics, were used during the TV's series run. In 2002, Bonanza ranked number 43 on TV Guide's 50 Greatest TV Shows of All Time. And the time period, again, set in the 1860s, roughly between 1861 and 1867, uh, during and shortly after the American Civil War, coinciding with the period the Nevada Territory became a U.S. state. And here's an interesting fun factoid uh, that you don't hear about very often. During the summer of 1972, NBC aired reruns of episodes from 1967 to 1970 in primetime on Tuesday evening under the title Ponderosa. So that was an interesting way to repackage the product. Uh, I can't recall another series that uh, that really did that. I know one time uh, when Happy Days was in syndication, they they called it Happy Days again, I think. Uh, but uh, yeah, very, very interesting that uh, they did that maneuver. Again, Bonanza, our TV theme for this week. And with that, we are done here. Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at JeffAllen underscore 88, on Facebook at JeffAllen88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Does your dog itch, suffer from debilitating skin allergies, or trouble hot spots? We have the solution using the healing power of neem. Kramer Salve is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. Go to KramerSalve.net to order today with new low pricing. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E dot net.